What people fail to realize though, is that, you know, there's market cycles and we won't really go into the weeds on this here, but 90% of your return and studies have shown and Dalbar has a, has a study out there uh, that shows 90% of your returns are based on your behavior, not what you actually bought. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. It's the retirement success blueprint once again with Michael Stewart and myself, Mike from Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. He's the founder, been helping families get to and through retirement for the last two plus decades. So a great resource for you to tap into. And Mike, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? I am doing excellent. How about yourself, Mark? Doing pretty good. So what's uh, anything new in the world? I know it's October, football's cruising along. How's the uh, how's the family? How's the kids? Uh, everybody's doing well. Spending the month kind of doing a lot of family weekends at various colleges across the Midwest. So and seeing my football and spending some time with the kids. Well, there you go. Can't beat that. I got to ask you, I don't know if you've been to the store lately, but this is, I don't know if we're, I can't believe we're doing this again, but I don't know if you've seen this or not, but Costco says they're going to be instituting purchasing limits on TP and the cleaning supplies to keep these things in stock. I mean, seriously, like are really, are people really going to do this again in mass quantity buy? Yeah. And this time is for a slightly different reason. You know, the last, last year was just, you know, fear over coronavirus and all these other kind of things. Right. And, and for some, it's kind of, well, going into, you know, cold and flu slash Corona winter. Yeah. You know, maybe that's it too. But the, the bigger thing is actually has more to do with just what's been going on in the economy for, you know, be it since the last shutdown, really for about the past year, year and a half. The is, logistics. The logistics, the supply yeah. chains of it is, you know, they can't manufacture enough. There's still stuff sitting out in ports, you know, that's taken them two, three weeks just to, you know, bring in the ships and then kind of, you know, ship it on and put it on rails and trucks and all these kind of things. So you're seeing mass shortages everywhere and Costco's just trying to get ahead of it so they can at least service the, the clients, you know, at a, at a minimal level uh, rather than have somebody just hear that headline and then run in and start, you know, buying up the toilet paper again. Well, this kind of serves, I think, as a great little, you know, metaphor, allegory, whatever for our show, you know, planning, right? Strategizing mm -hmm. a little bit. Like I told my wife, I said, you know, when obviously when all this stuff happened and everything, I said through the summer, I said, look, here's the smart thing to do. Every other time you go to the grocery store or something like that, buy an extra one, right? Just buy mm -hmm. an extra four pack or something. That way you're not hoarding and you're not like, you know, cleaning, trying to clean places out. And I think people need to have a better strategy about how to do a lot of things in life, we tend to procrastinate, which is obviously perfect for what we talk about here on the show, right? For what you do, you know, that's how people go. And so they wait to the last second and then they think, oh, well, now what am I, you know, what am I going to do? Correct. Yeah. Consistency is the key, whether it's, whether it's saving or in this case, buying toilet paper, you know, let's just, let's just be consistent about our process. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. And it'll actually kind of work a little bit about our conversation this week. Um, you know, so it's a little bit more on the pride side and maybe that's sometimes that's the case, right? We're too prideful to, um, I don't know, get it in gear or whatever until the last second. And then we go into panic mode or we think, Hey, I've got this or I can handle whatever. But, uh, the conversation is going to be pride before the fall, how overconfidence can really lead to some financial ruin. Uh, and I think there was that old proverb, right? It was something like pride goes before destruction, uh, something about spirits will fall. I can't remember the exact thing, but it's, you know, 
it, we all know this, right? We, it's one of these old sayings that we've had. So let's talk about just overconfidence and how it might manifest into the financial world, Mike, and what you do. Uh, and start with the market because it's been kind of easy to get confident in it when it's been doing this thing for like 11 years, right? No, and, and that time frame is excellent. Yeah, for the last 11, 12 years, except for a couple blips along the way, the market's basically gone straight up. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in our last episode that, you know, I, I use hockey stick as an example. That's, That's what right. the market's done. Yeah. And, you know, and when what that leads to for individuals, and we do a whole show on biases as well, but what's called a recency bias, which means, you know, I, I must be a great investor, you know, even whether I'm a do it yourself or <laughs> Or you're working with a broker because all I've done is go straight up for 10 All I do is win. So. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those songs playing in the background. And, and, and the thing is, what people fail to realize, though, is that, you know, there's market cycles and we won't really go into the weeds on this here, but 90% of your return and studies have shown and Dalbar has a, has a study out there uh, that shows 90% of your returns are based on your behavior, not what you actually bought. You know, so unless you bought Tesla or Amazon at the open and you held on to them over all that time or something, for the most part, in a diversified portfolio, it's the decisions that you make or don't make in good times and bad. So do not get too greedy when times are good. So that, that way you're not taking too much risk where the bottom falls out and you lose half of everything. And do you not sell out at the bottom too, as long as you were taking the right amount of risk to begin with. So people get very overconfident. And it's because of the recency bias thinking that, you know, tomorrow's market or the next 10 years market is going to look like the last 10 years. And I'm here to tell you it's not. Yeah, that's a great point. Because it's not like humans ever, you know, get overconfident or (laughs) or anything like that. So let's go with the money one. Okay, so number two here, overconfidence in that whole when I get to X dollar, I'm groovy, right? You know, so I get to the million bucks, I got it made and then I can retire or whatever. So you're kind of putting your faith or your confidence in this magical number. Yeah, but here's what people don't understand. The number is just a number. Uh, What it's really about in retirement, we tell clients all the time in retirement, you know, income is the outcome. So it doesn't matter if you've got $500,000, a million or $5 million, it's what is that going to do for you? What kind of lifestyle are you trying to have? So there's no magic number that if you get to a million, all of a sudden everything's gravy on there. <laughs> it's about cash flow. So we've got clients that have a million dollars under management, you know, that we're conservatively managing for them. And really with their pension, social security, they really don't need to touch it. You know, they, you know, so they're never going to spend through it. So we start talking about how do we save money on taxes, lower required minimum distributions, leave a legacy for the kids and the church and those kind of things. And we also have clients that maybe have $5 million with us that are taking every single penny of income they can off of that because their lifestyle, you know, they've got two mortgages and three homes and four luxury car payments and all these other kind of things. So their lifestyle dictates that they have to kind of maximize the income off of that. So it's not about a number. It's about your lifestyle and the cash flow that you need. And that's why you got to have a plan. You put a plan together because the purpose of that plan is, okay, what kind of rate of return do I need to get the income that's going to last myself and I'm married, my spouse for the rest of our lives till we take our last breath and leave the legacy that we want. And then you work back from that. So, you know, if you, if you get these things in place and you want to play that kind of game with yourself, like my daughter, now that she's making decent money in the Navy, uh, Mike, she's doing this thing where she really enjoys the fact that her savings, she's adding some to her savings and she's watching it tick up. And so she keeps playing this game with herself where she's like, oh, this is my next goal, right? Let me get it to X, this number and then this number and so on and so forth. It's kind of like when you're going someplace and you're using your GPS and it says, you know, your estimated arrival time is at, let's say, 2.05 p.m. And you're like, I can beat that, right? I can, I can 
shave 10 <laughs> minutes off this time. If you want to get into that category where you're trying to say, I'm trying to get to a million dollars because you want to have that you know, number and it sounds cool and sexy, I suppose that's one thing, but don't sacrifice, don't like make everything, don't make that the focal point for everything. Make sure to your point, you've got the income needs taken care of. Does that make sense? Does that, I mean, does that work for people who kind of have that mindset? No, absolutely. The, the key is more is better than less, you know, especially when it comes to retirement savings and having a goal and pushing towards that goal. And I, and I think what you're seeing with your daughter, and I love seeing it with the kids and the grandkids of our clients, you know, because most of our clients are either near retirement or in retirement. Uh-huh. So the kids are young adults themselves, is that once they start saving, it becomes something that they just continue to do and they get excited about it. They get excited about hitting that goal. They get excited yeah. about seeing those balances grow. But if they don't start, they, they just never get that bug. Yeah. You know? But that's what's going to make them successful over time. Oh, yeah. No. And she's, you know, she's never had that bug before. She's 24 now. And like I said, now that she's making decent money and she can actually put something in a savings account, she's like, hey, this is kind of cool. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to knock it. So that's all I want to say. All right. Let's move on to number three here. Overconfidence in rules of thumb. Really specifically, though, the 4% rule. That's been around a long time, Mike, and it's the one that it's just you hear it all the time. People gravitate towards and it's, hey, I can pull out if I can pull out four percent, I'm groovy. Yeah. And and what I say, and we are a retirement income based practice. So, you know, how much we get from income, our strategy is we just say there's a right way and a wrong way. So when somebody says, oh, my, you know, my broker says I can take out, you know, four percent of my savings each year and I won't run out of money. And I say based on what? And for most people's strategy, it's just based on hope. You know, I'm going to have more money in the market than not, and I'm hoping it goes up in value. So then that way I can sell some shares that have gone up in value and that'll be my 4%. What they don't realize is that's the exact wrong way to get income off your retirement because what did you just do? You sold principal. In, in my book, Purpose-Based Investing, I call it eat the eggs, not the chickens, right? That's eating the chickens. You're, you're eating the principal. So what happens is if you just sold off some shares to get what you thought was income, but in reality, it's principal, you've got less shares. So what happens when the market dips and you still need that 4%, let's say you get a million bucks, you still need that 40,000, but now the market took 20% of it away. So now you only got 800,000, but you still need the Mm -hmm. 40,000. Now you're down to 760. What do you got to do to get that other 40,000? You got to sell even more shares. Well, that's not a good strategy. That's a hoping everything works out strategy. And when that 4% rule first came into play, that was in the mid nineties when you had double digit teen returns on average from tech stocks and the market. And even your bonds were paying you five, 6%. We don't live in that world anymore. So the right way to get income off your portfolio is if you're going to draw 4%, like a lot of our clients, they'll draw 4% off their portfolio. So if they've got a million dollars, they're taking $40,000 a year of supplemental income but it's coming from interest and dividends. So even if the market drops, the income stays the same. We're not cannibalizing principal and pretending like it's income. Gotcha. Yeah, I've heard people say that it's more like the, you know, the rule of 2.9%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, know? Fidelity came out, you know, the study and said, yeah, 4%'s broken because of where fixed income rates are. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the amount of risk in the market. So unless you have investment vehicles like bonds, bond-like instruments that are paying you 4 and 5% interest and dividends, then you can't safely take a 4% withdrawal rate. Okay. Well, there you go. So let's keep moving on with our overconfidence here. Are you feeling overconfident about any of these things or were you? And uh, if so, hopefully the podcast kind of shined a little light on maybe why you shouldn't be. And of course, that's always why you want to check with a, a qualified professional about you know your specific scenario. And we'll get to that all information in just a second. But overconfidence and understanding your own, I guess, personal understanding, Mike, of how a certain product works. And maybe oftentimes this goes to the A word, right? This is where I think a lot of times the annuity comes into play. 
or maybe it doesn't. People just feel like they, well, I've got this. I understand it. It makes sense. And they really kind of don't. Yeah. And, and I'll give you kind of three quick examples of that. You know, so one I'll give you on, you know, like there's something out there called a fixed annuity. Fixed means you get a fixed rate, you know, kind of like a CD, but it's in, insured by the insurance company instead of, you know, the FDIC or something. So it's still safe for you. So, you know, you can get about 3% on a five-year fixed rate right now, uh, you know, through various companies that are out there. So if five-year time frame makes sense and 3% is a good interest rate for you, especially considering the bank's paying you like half a percent, you know, then why not? Uh, you know, others be like, oh, why don't I lock in that low rate? Well, if interest rates are 1% or less right now, and they go up 1% every year for the next five years, which we know isn't going to happen, but that means you go 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%, you've averaged 3% over that time frame. So why wouldn't you just get 3% if that's kind of what your best case scenario is <laughs> going to be going forward? Right. You know, and so, so it's, you know, focusing on a rate rather than kind of what the reality of, of what you're in. Another one's, you know, things like the variable annuity. I can't tell you every week somebody walks in my office and they've got $500,000, a million dollars in a variable annuity that they had taken out. So variable means there's sub accounts or what they call mutual fund type accounts inside an insurance product. When you hear the word annuity, it just means there's an insurance company involved somewhere. So on a variable annuity, clients come in, they say, oh, I got this half million dollars in this variable annuity. It's gone up, but I mean, the market's been on fire and I barely made anything. And I'll show them like, okay, well, you realize there's like three levels of fees in here. You know, the sub accounts, the mutual fund investments are charging you around one, one and a half percent. The insurance company is charging you one, one and a quarter. And then you have some kind of death benefit or income benefit rider attached to it. I call it a bell and whistle. That's another one, one and a half percent. So did you realize you were paying the insurance company four or five percent in internal fees that you don't even see? You know, but it's built in that prospectus that nobody reads. And, you know, and the thing that is, so the insurance company is getting 20, 25 grand before you get a penny. Of course, you're not making any money. Hmm, you know, so they yeah. think that they know what they own, like, oh, yeah, it's something in the market, but they really don't understand the structure of it. And a third part of that, and I'll even just tell you on things like mutual funds and exchange traded funds, you need to know what you're doing, even when you're using those. So use the, you know, the China headlines right now, like with Evergrande and some of these other things that are going on and a slowing China economy and things is, you know, people own emerging market funds. Okay, well, what's that? Well, that's smaller, less developed countries. Well, most of their exports tend to be things that go into the production, you know, their natural resources that go into the production of things, mainly from China. So if the Chinese economy is slowing and the manufacturing is slowing, then there's going to be less demand for things from emerging markets. Well, what's that going to do to the economies from emerging markets? Well, that might not be something you want to own right now (laughs) as China slows. But nobody thinks about that. They're like, oh, hey, I just got some international exposure. So you need to have some understanding or work with somebody that has some understanding of what you actually own. And you don't need to know all the innards of you know how it works. You just need to know why you own it. Yeah, exactly. I use the car analogy all the time. You know, you need to know how a car works if you're going to drive, right? You understand the basics of driving it, put gas in it, check the oil, so on and so forth. But most of us don't care to understand how to take apart the engine and rebuild it. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. not, you know, that's just not for most of us. So that's a great analogy. Yeah. It's the way of looking at it, right? There's going to be those folks that are really detail oriented, right? That you're going to have some of those clients, those engineer type people who want to know the nuts and bolts of everything. And maybe they are making those good sound decisions. And that really is my final fifth piece here to this, Mike, is overconfidence is not only might you not understand the product as well as you think you do, but you, you put too much confidence in yourself to make good decisions. Not saying that we're, you know, we're dumb or anything. It's just, Simply like I make good 
decisions in life. So I know that this is going to be a good one. Well, well, how do you know that? Like, what are you basing that off of that you make good sound financial decisions? Do you have a track record that proves that or what's the case? And I think that's where the real value that you bring to the table comes in because you have that that sounding board mentality. You can say, okay, well, tell me, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, why is, do you think this is a good idea? And then you can kind of give that point counterpoint. Yeah. So they were basing their own deci- good decision-making process on their own overconfidence in their own decision-making process. You know, so it's a, <laughs> right. it's a, it's a feedback loop that they're kind of involved Self-fulfilling in. Self-fulfilling yeah. so, prophecy, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so I had mentioned it earlier when we were talking about just overconfidence in the market and, you know, managing your own portfolio that Dalbar came out with a study saying that 90% of your lifetime of returns comes from your behavior, not what specific asset classes and things that you're in. So, you know, what I, I like to joke with our clients a lot of times is, you know, that, and I've mentioned it on the show before, is they say, okay, half of my role is as a financial planner. The other half is actually as a behavioral counselor, just making sure that, you know, you're not too greedy when times are good because we don't want you taking too much risk, you know, that can derail your plans. And then we also, you know, I hold your hand when things are going rough and say, hey, point to the plan. We're still on track. Everything's going fine. We know what we own. We know why we own it. We know our costs are low, our taxes are low, all of those kind of things. That's how you have good decision-making process. It's not just kind of, you know, licking your fingers, sticking it up in the wind and be like, okay, I got to make decisions right now. That's why it's so important to have a financial plan and because that drives the bus going forward. Exactly. So that is our conversation on overconfidence. Uh, And as always, if you've got some questions, reach out to a qualified professional like Mike. You can find him online at crystallaketax.com. That is crystallaketax.com. And you can drop us a line while you're there. We're going to take an email question here in just a second. So again, stop by the website, crystallaketax.com. A lot of good tools, tips, and resources. You can subscribe to the podcast. And you can find that on the podcast page as well for whatever platform you like to use, Apple, Google, Spotify, so on and so forth. So this week's email question comes to us from Miriam. And she is in Milwaukee. She says, uh, Mike, my husband was born in the 50s, but for some reason, his attitude towards money is some is like someone from the Depression era. I really think we've saved enough for retirement, but he's convinced that we both need to keep working like forever, while also never indulging ourselves or spending anything over and above the basics. Is there a way to fix this man, she says. Yes, I can. I don't, I don't know about the man, but about his <laughs> financial acumen, I, I guess we can. Yeah, I, I, Miriam, I would think that, and, and I've seen it in my 21 years as a fiduciary financial planner, that everyone's mindset on money is framed by a variety of things, both good and bad, about things that have happened over their lifetime. So many instances, you know, if somebody has grown up without money, or seen their parents lose a lot of money for various reasons, be it a failed business or just bad, you know, money management when they were, you know, for their parents, then that shapes you either consciously or subconsciously, you know, so, so right, that might yeah. be in play. Other things is we've had clients that were wiped out twice in the last 20 years between 2000, 2002 crash, between the 2008, 2009 great financial crisis, where each time they lost half or more of their life savings. Now they've since built it back up. But they're a lot more conservative because they also realize they're either at retirement or a lot closer retirement than 10 years ago when the last crash happened or 20 years ago when the one before that. So their mindset has changed. And, and it may be some combination of that for your husband. So how do you get over that? Because that's really your, your question saying, you know what, you know, we, we've saved, we've been good savers over the time. How do we actually give ourselves permission to spend? And that's yeah. really what your husband needs is permission to spend. 
And how you do that is you can be conservative, be in an income-based portfolio. And when I say that, and we talk about it every week in, in the show, is you know what we've got clients that are you know don't have a whole lot of money in the market. Now some do, but most most don't. Most will have a certain percentage in the market, and then a lot of it's in bonds, bond-like instruments, preferreds, REITs, all these different things. But the reason why is because they pay interest and dividends on a monthly, quarterly basis, like clockwork, independent of what's going on in the stock market. So let's say, Miriam, you know, you save $2 million, you and your husband could spend about $80,000 a year off that $2 million portfolio without ever touching the principal on the $2 million. That's just taking what I call in my book, eat the eggs, not the chicken. Spend the interest in dividends, don't touch the principal. Now that's where, you're, you know, and sometimes it's with a husband. A husband wants to go out and buy a classic sports car that he had, you know, when he was 15. And now that he's 60, you know, he's got, I've got money, I want to go do it. Okay, well, if the portfolio can pay for it out of interest and dividends. Why not? Or Miriam, in your case, if the spending, the travel, the treating the grandkids, whatever you want can be paid from interest and dividends, then maybe your husband's going to be okay with that. But if the strategy is we got to keep it in the market, hope it goes up, that's why we can't spend anything. That's just a miserable way to live. And I think you're starting to see that. So, you know, give us a call. We'll sit down and do an income strategy for you and your husband and just see if it's a fit. Great question. Thanks so much. 815-526-3092 to give Mike a call. 815-526-3092. Two things before we go, Mike. One, uh, you know, our main topic was about overconfidence, and it sounds as though that Miriam's husband doesn't have any confidence in <laughs> what they've done, right, what they put together. And as I think a good strategy, a good plan is going to help show him that confidence, what you guys do. Uh, and two, you clearly were talking to my wife when you mentioned the whole sports car at 15. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you've been having a conversation with her because I've been on this kick lately wanting to uh, wanting to do that. So and it happens. It's pretty funny how that happens to us, but that's okay. We'll have some this good. We'll true. have a good time. She'll enjoy it if I get it. She might whine about it in the process, but she'll enjoy it once I get it. Thanks for hanging sure. out as always, Mike. I appreciate you. I hope you have yourself a great week. Enjoy yourself and take care. We'll talk. Uh, well, next time we talk, we'll be into November already. Yep. Always a pleasure, Mark. We'll see you next time here on the Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart from Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Find him at crystallaketax.com. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Store. The Retirement Income Store and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are associated entities.